What are they? Do they still serve a purpose in our modern lives? On September 23, 2017, Lama Rangbar Aimai Ozer shared with us his knowledge of these enigmatic structures, helped to clear up the mystery surrounding them, and call out the often overlooked effect they have on our lives. Now here is John Paul Learn to introduce Lama Rangbar and this month's podcast. Rama Langbar exemplifies the transfer of Eastern wisdom to Western mind. One of Lama's main interests is the establishment of peace by interreligious dialogues and co-conducted programs and events. His poignant talks are known to bring people from diverse belief systems into an easygoing and loving harmony. Lama Rangbar, over his activity, has established several benevolent environmental organizations in the fields of solar energy, electrical vehicles, poverty reduction for remote areas, and vital service provision. He's the founder of several organizations, including the Bodhivastu Foundation for Enlightened Activity. And after his time in Nepal, Lama has returned to the United States to establish an important monumental peace project for our times, the Stupa of the Great Awakening. Today, Lama will be speaking about Buddhist stupas, the use of sacred form as a means of guiding humanity towards wisdom and truth. Based on sacred geometry and constructed in the correct location, stupas have the power to transform individual lives and improve circumstances on a local and global scale by beneficial blessing, energy, form, intention, and the activity stream that they generate. It's my pleasure to introduce Lama Rangbar. I think JP said it all, so I don't have to say anything. <laughs> Normally, you could talk about stupas, and then you say, okay, I walked away with some understanding of what a stupa is supposed to do. But a stupa is not something like intellectual understanding. A stupa is a living organism that actually functions between people and the energy of the stupa. So on the one hand, you are empowering the stupa, and on the other hand, it's empowering you. There's a kind of two-way street going on. It is a way to introduce people to their own nature, in particular, to objective nature itself. So, uh, Stupa would say something like, I'd like to introduce you, life meet interdependence, interdependence meet life. It doesn't function by itself. If you put a Stupa in the middle of nowhere, again, there are birds and different kind of uh, insects and the wind goes against it and someone knows it's there and there's intention. But ideally speaking, someone would interact with that Stupa. There are some things that happen with stupa that don't have to have so much grasping, formulated intention, let's say. Not too much intellect. It has energy. So individual transformation of character, if an individual's continence, if their view could be changed, then of course society could be changed. And a stupa is something seen by many people. And there are many stupas. So many stupas are called liberation upon sight. Their shape. It's so perfect, the proportions are so wholesome, and you just look at it and say, well, at least something's right, and your mind settles down. Individual transformation changes the way people react to each other. And if you go to Bodhanath, you'll see everybody from all over the world are there just in a great harmony. It's such a beautiful feeling to be in the place. And the results are cumulative. So many people over the centuries go there, and so many people are influenced, and slowly, slowly, there's something I guess you could call evolution, right? Stupas are also called in Tibetan tukden, or support for the heart. 
And when they say heart in Tibetan, we say mind. They, they wouldn't point to the head or say that mind is the brain. They would say mind is the heart. Moreover, the stupa is the enlightened uh, support for the awakened mind of a Buddha. Someone who's crossed over illusion, has no more illusion anymore. And the mantra is is basically that everything arises from a cause. It is taught by the Buddha when Shariputra, his disciple, asked what does this mantra mean? And he basically said, Dharma said arise from a cause, and Dharma doesn't necessarily only mean Buddha Dharma, the teaching of the Buddha. Their cause also has a cessation. And cause is important because without cause you don't have something resulting, right? If there's no cause, nothing happens. So cause is a critical issue for our suffering. What is the cause? Yeah? If you understand that everything is dependent on each other, that it's all interdependent, if you really understand that, not just kind of like, yeah, I know we're all connected, but you really feel the depth of that, if you can really penetrate that in your meditation or how you relate to people in your lives, your relationships, and you start to see how interwoven everything is, not only on a physical level, but on a mind level, then you are getting somewhere. And so this is an important thing to maintain because they're built by many people working together, aren't they? It's not just one person building a stupa normally. The other thing about stupas is that you can light them up, you can paint them, you can put clothing on it, you can offer things to it. This is a way of connecting to your enlightened qualities. The people around me are not really reliable. They always seem to mess up. I mess up all the time. Nothing's perfect. But let's say there's something perfect. This is a big jump for many people. Some people will say, there's nothing perfect, so let's not go there. But actually, Buddhists go there because maybe things are perfect, but we just haven't really understood how or why. I think if we translate that to Christian terms, I'm getting in hot water here, but God works in mysterious ways, let's say. In any case, let's say you were to light the stupa and a hundred people get together with a bunch of butter lamps and you go around and everybody's lighting this together. They're kind of eliminating darkness in all the ten directions. They're not just offering a light to the stupa, but they're saying in all the realms and all the different universes and all these different spaces of people's minds, may the darkness and suffering that comes from ignorance be chased away by this luminosity that we offer. Who offered it? We did. Where was the luminosity in our mind? Would it have been there had we not offered the light? Maybe not. We might have been watching TV. You see what I'm saying? You could have been doing something else, but instead there's a stupa and you can do that. And then it becomes useful transformation of your mind. So stupas do function as a memorial to the Buddha and his teachings, maybe the 13 events of a Buddhist life, being born as a prince, leaving the palace, renouncing his worldly life, doing ascetic practices, attaining enlightenment, turning the wheel of the Dharma, etc. So there's 13 of these activities and stupas can commemorate the Buddha in any of these actions. And each of these actions is something we have to think about for ourselves. Renouncing worldly life, for example, would mean not putting so much stock in impermanent things. Not everything is about money. Not everything is about getting what you want. There's a lot of other issues to look at. I mean, first of all, if you don't experience some kind of measure of pain, 
chasing after those things and trying to avoid the things you don't like, something's weird about you, I guess. Most people experience pain trying to get what they want and not getting it, and pain avoiding what they don't want to have happen, and then they get tired of it and black out for a while. Those three things. So passion, aggression, and ignorance are cycling in us. I think there's not a single person who doesn't think, what's the way out of this? Especially when you have something really challenging you, right? That you say, you know, this is way too much. When you're watching TV and there's enough food and everybody's fine around you, you don't think that. But if it happens to you enough times, it can turn your mind and you can say, look, I really, I have to take a different take. I have to check it, a different way of looking at this. And so renunciation is part of the process of self-realization, no matter how you cut it, for good or for bad. Okay, so the Buddha said, if you have a relic of the Buddha and you put it inside the stupa and you pay respect to the Buddha like this, it is the same as if he was right there. He said that himself, his words. This is when he was requested to say some words, what do we do with your relics after we cremated? Now, what is the point of that? What is the point of having reverence to something or anything? If you want your life to go towards a certain set of qualities, you have to think about those qualities. You have to try to realize it's possible for you to have those qualities. If you can conceive of them, then it's possible you could develop those qualities, regardless of the chaos around you. That's up to you. That's an individual decision, isn't it? Now you can make a lot of excuses and say, well, I can't be perfect because people are playing dirty. So you can say, I can't be nice because I'll be killed. You know, you can say that, but it's not exactly the way it is. You can take yourself in hand and do something. It follows that by bringing to mind certain qualities, I'm not so sure it matters as much about the historical fellow as it does about these internal qualities. I'm much more concerned with the internal qualities we could develop that the Buddha, our own Buddha, us becoming something, recognizing our nature that way. We're moving from outer to inner, so the proportions of a stupa actually have to do with the proportions of a Buddha, and there's 32 major and minor marks. What happens when someone's totally purified is that their proportions will be a certain way. So it is said. According to the text, this is how it is. Um, so the sacred proportions are there. Stupas are not just kind of randomly derived. And this has also to do with harmonics and a few other things about how the nervous system of a human being is made. Again, outer explanation, these are the um, different events that happen in the Buddha's life and the different type of stupas. One is the uh, stupa of lotuses, the enlightenment stupa, when he attained enlightenment, miracle stupa, when he performed miracles, one when he came down from heaven because he had gone to heaven to repay the kindness of his mother. His mother had passed away and was... Now, this is going to be funny for someone from a Judeo-Christian background, but she was stuck up there in heaven. <laughs> for a lot of you, that would be like, well, that's great, isn't it? From a Buddhist point of view, that's just like another place. He went to pay her kindness, and one of the problems with heaven is that it's not forever. And so at some point, your merit runs out, and then some other experience arises, and so you're still kind of trapped in rise and fall. So he went to teach her some dharma and then came back down, and so they commemorated that. Then finally, there is nirvana stupa, when he passed away. This represents his moving into parinirvana, no longer a kind of a human. Now we get to an inner explanation. And I've already indicated this, but the essential part of a stupa is look there and see here. 
Got it? Look at the stupa, so, oh, what a nice thing. Well, where did that thought rise that it's nice? That feeling that the stupa is really nice. So nice, it's so, so settled and so peaceful here. Look, look at it. Where did that feeling arise? Did it arise in the cement? Had nothing to do, <laughs> it's interdependent. That brought it to your mind, but in the end, that feeling of peace and that feeling of perfection is you. You see? So it's look there, see here. You know, some people could say, well, it's idolatry or something, right? It's, but even same with the Buddha statue. It looks so nice, it looks so peaceful. But that is here, that you're experiencing that. So it's not really idol worship in that sense, you understand? All these things in this museum, and this is a very beautiful museum with great artifacts, so when you look at these images, you, you could fall in love with the image and want to steal it. Uh, like, I could think of a few I'd like to steal, but... Um, <laughs> but I can't because she's the guardian of the place. You look at them and you feel great. You'd love to have it with you all the time, isn't it? The point is they're all upaya, they're all method. Another way of saying upaya in the English language, now upaya means method, but it actually also translates to compassion. So these are all expressions of compassion. Anyone heard the expression tulku? Okay, tulku is like a reincarnated lama, a being that emanates intentionally to benefit beings. These are also type of tulku. All these statues are called bombe tulku. It means art emanations. Someone had to make this perfect image and then when you look at it, it functions as a compassion, right? It calms your mind, it gives good qualities to you. See? So stupas are a community's way of kind of getting together and doing something. Have you ever gone up to a little kid and started to talk to them? They don't want to talk to you. You know, they just, if you go up to them and start to say, how are you? They're like, what has that got to do with anything? What do you mean? But if you go up to them with a the little toy and you start to play, they're all over it. So if you start to do something together, everybody knows what they have to do to be together, to join each other, to be part of something, which is what we really are. We're not a separated individual thing. A human being is not that. That's why we're all so sick, because we're not understanding what we really are. The stupa helps a community come together and understand that they are a fabric. Human beings are a fabric, not an individual. So what is an exhibition of stupas in this museum is actually starting to function the way it's supposed to. So Jacques Marché asked me to come here to talk about stupas, but actually stupa is a real-time affair. It's not just the study of history. So I said, what is the use of a stupa in the modern context? If there's ever a time to build a stupa, it's now, that's for sure. The question is, who will do it, how it will be done, and what will be the effect, and who is along for this ride, is the question. The museum is conceivably giving life to a stupa. Now you all know about this project, for example, and the project could give life to the museum in that sense. But thank you all for listening to the issues of outer, inner, and secret stupa, and maybe even super secret. Yes. Thank you. So thank you everyone for joining us this afternoon and 
squeezing into our, our seats. Thank you, Lama, for, for being here and showing us so many wonderful examples of stupas from uh, around the world. Um, myself and our board member, um, Dr. Peg Harrington, just returned from Japan yesterday. And one of the things we saw scattered throughout Japan were stupas that the Burmese gave to the Japanese after the Second World War as a way to heal because there was a lot of warring between those two countries and we thought that that was a fantastic thing to see and you saw them just in, in random hilltops throughout. Um, well, I'm sure they were placed there specifically but you saw them everywhere that you went and there's about seven stupas from the museum's collection um, on display right now scattered throughout the exhibition so I encourage you all to take a look at, at what what, uh, what we have and um, if you ever get the chance to travel to Bodenoth I highly recommend it because it is fantastic but perhaps we'll have one here on the east coast very soon and that we can uh, we don't have to travel to to nepal to uh, to see a fantastic stupa so again thank you all for, for we hope you've enjoyed the selection of talks about stupas from lama rungba's visit to the jacques marche tibetan museum for more information on lama rangba naimai oza and the Bodhivastu Foundation, go to thegreatawakening.org. As much of this discussion on stupas was visual, and the PowerPoint presentation that accompanied the talk helped show the diversity of stupas around the world, the Jacques Marche tech team are at work editing a video of Lama Rangba's visit to be available on the museum's YouTube channel in 2018. So till next month, I'm Rudy Basich from the Jacques Marche Museum of Tibetan Art on Lighthouse Hill, overlooking historic Richmond Town on Staten Island. Tashi Delic.